Greetings and welcome to this special outside broadcast edition of Lave Radio. What you're about to hear was recorded live at the Inside Games Showcase event held by BAFTA at the Tobacco Docks in London on the 12th of March 2014. The event gave members of the public a chance to get hands-on with a wide range of highly anticipated games from some of the industry's biggest studios. Frontier were there showcasing the latest build of Elite Dangerous, complete with stations demonstrating the Oculus Rift. David Brape presented on the current state of development, and afterwards kindly stopped by to talk to the late radio crew. John, Alan, Chris and myself are all in attendance, and we will be bringing you our thoughts on the event and the newly released Alpha 3.0 in the next episode of Late Radio. Please forgive the quality of the audio and enjoy the content. Um, but I would be severely reprimanded by the community if I didn't start this interview with a massive fanboy thank you. Uh, the universe yourself and Ian Bell created back in the 80s has been a source of inspiration and escapism that's followed us as a generation from our teens all the way through to us hopefully more mature years. So thank you very much for that. And on the flip side of that coin is, we must mention 30 years. 19 if you play First Encounters. That's Why did right. it take so long to make another Elite game? Well, I suppose working with publishers was quite, was for me not a brilliant experience and I didn't want to repeat that. And it would be very hard to get the game made without that until recently. And so Kickstarter has changed, changed that a lot. And also, you know, we've been getting funding through our site, so huge thank you for people who've done that because it, it de-risks the project and it, it just shows that there are a lot of people behind it and making it possible. And the difference is, this is, um, we're writing the game for ourselves, the wider ourselves, whereas that's not the case of the publisher. They'll say, oh, what's the demographic? How do you demonstrate how these people play the game? Games tend to end up dumbed down, which is a shame. And this way we can say, no, 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 it can be hard. It can be complicated. Things like the power distributor, a publisher would knock it on the head straight away. They, Why would you want that? You know, all of the heat mechanic. They, oh, no, people won't understand that. But the point is, it doesn't really matter if you don't understand it. Because with time, you'll think, oh, what was that? What was that guy doing? Oh, I want to do some of that. If I, if I disappear from people's scanners, excellent. <laughs> you know, and it, it's, it's things like that, those little things that make the game good. You know, and uh, I suppose it goes all the way back to my experience with Thorn EMI in the early days, where they wanted us to have three lives. They wanted us to have a score. They were just in this stupid mindset where you know you're looking for the next coin to go down in the arcades, and they, they couldn't understand that. And it, it publishers, and it, I, I don't blame the publishers because it's looking at um, they look at the return on investment. They have this concept of a return on investment spreadsheet, and they've got to look at a game and say, right, it's going to sell that much, maybe 20% less. And if there isn't a game that they can point at, and there isn't in the space, you know, in the open world, unless they start looking at open world games that are not space games. Mm-hmm then um, there hasn't been anything to point at. But look now, we've got other, a lot of other games, like, you know, Star Citizen, the obvious one, that are coming through um, because they've been enabled by this opportunity. And so, so with that in mind, I mean, obviously, the, the, the kind of space combat genre was, was, was huge in the sort of, sort of 90s. And it really is, like you say, there's not really anything about. So what do you think happened to the space genre kind of in the last 10, 15 years that made it sort of, I, I guess, virtually disappear? Well, I, I think the problem is a lot of people don't understand how a game is, it fits in a genre. So for me, for Elite, when Elite was first conceived, it was the freedom that Ian and I wanted. Not whether it's set in space or not. The setting was a secondary thing. Because actually on, in those days, how do you render a world? Space is one of the easiest things to render, and that's why we did it that way. 
You know, and it was the openness, the ability to do what you like, to be a pirate, to be a bounty hunter, to be a trader. You know, that diversity that we wanted, the freedom, um, because we had got really cheesed off with games. They were in a rut then. I know it seems bizarre, but even then, uh, so many games were derivative to the arcades, and they had such a short cycle. You know, they were a game with two minutes was a typical playtime, ten minutes if you were good. And that was you know, really yeah. quite hard. Um, and you had to put in some more coins. You know, and, and, and that was, you know, it, 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 was, it really showed something when Battlezone was the game that broke the mold because it didn't have a free life at, th at 10,000. It was, they just added, I can't remember, was it a million? Yeah, it was, they, it was a millions, yeah. it was huge numbers. But it was basically the same. You know, and, and I suppose looking at the other games that were around at that time were the, um, the things that existed on things like university com um, computers, you know, like uh, Colossal Cave Adventure, text adventures, yeah. um, which were long, much longer to play, and much more. And I, I thought, well, why can't we do that? But in a an immediate action game, and you know, Thorny and I bounced back to the fact they said, oh, this is going to take ages to play, and people won't want to provide their own cassette to save onto, you know, and. <laughs> But that's what we liked about the game. And then we started, I actually sort of started thinking, well, maybe they have a point. Maybe we're just a few strange, geeky, per people that are using today's word. Um, with this, you know, but we wanted to make it that way. So that's why we didn't go with Thorn AMI. With uh, Elite Dangerous being successfully backed, we've always believed me following it, but Elite is obviously your passion and vision. However, you're also the CEO of the successful software house and one of the founders of the Raspberry Pis. Are you still able to get hands-on with the creation of Elite Dangerous? Yeah. I think it's, it's, it's a game I have wanted to make for so long. I will fight tooth and nail to make damn sure that happens. Um, you know, the, the, the point is, this is a very important project for Frontier. You know, we, we, have, we have done a lot of varied things, and I, I think, but I think a lot of people join Frontier to work on this, you know, so we have to do it at some point. And, and, and that's a good, and me too, you know, that, um, we've done some games that I'm very, very proud of. You know, I'm proud of all the games we've made. And they all use the same tech, but brilliantly, that tech actually helps Elite Dangerous. You know, people think, well, how can Zoo Tycoon help Elite Dangerous? The answer is, actually, we put in all 64-bit support, you know, all of that. You know, it, it all feeds in. It's the same tech. If we wanted to do furry things, we can. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so take that the next stage then. What would you do in the game if you had infinite development time and computer power? Uh, that's what we're doing. Um, the point is, we do have infinite development time and computer power. Because this game, I don't expect, will ever stand still. So we will ship it. And we will already be working on things that will come later. And there will be, I'm hoping there will be a cadence of updates going, well, I say indefinitely, but for a long time. Because there are so many things we want to do, some of which we've touched on. You know, boarding ships, landing on planets, all of that sort of thing. There's so much work. We could do it straight away, but we couldn't do it well. And that's the problem. You know, I want you to land on a planet and it's a lush, wonderful thing and, and there are creatures wandering around that you can hunt and, I don't know, chop their horns off and sell the horns because that's valuable, you know. And that brings in all sorts of wonderful ethical discussions, you know. Um, is it, I think in Frontier, one of the jokey stories talked about these great big creatures and the only thing that people wanted from them was their eyelashes, which were immensely soft. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's a bit like the really tragic treatment of things like rhinos and elephants in Africa today, where these great big beautiful creatures are killed and then just this horn that's about this tall is chopped off. 
and mutilating a wonderful creature. You know, it's that sort of thing um, which we can, we can show in different ways. And it'll be up to the players whether that is acceptable or not. So um, following on from what you were saying in your talk about the, 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 the procedural generation and how that affects planets, and you were talking about how to make things feel populated without being repetitive, one of the things we've mentioned on the podcast was that to take Earth as an analogy, we all know that in Frontier there were only five places on Earth that you could actually land a ship. And we obviously all know because we live here that there are more than five places on Earth. So because you've, because you've done Elite Dangerous to kind of scale and all the planets are huge, how are you looking at tackling just the problem of making these giant spaces feel feel populated and unique? Well, I mean, in Frontier, you could land anywhere, there's just no point. Yeah. You know, and, and I think, although having said that, there was a point, because that, things like the mining machines, you could deposit it somewhere, and in a multiplayer game, actually that's quite important. If someone else can find it and take it, actually you do want to put it in the middle of nowhere. And ideally, you know, the equivalent of putting a pile of leaves over the top of it. <laughs> Just so that it's not that obvious. And so I, I think the fact that space is huge actually works on your side that way. Um, and maybe you put it under a cliff where it's not noticeable or, you know, I think there are, you know, there is logic there. But And also, I think over time, it's something that we will, um, we will gradually get right. We'll find these problems. I mean, maybe a, a mining machine makes no sense in a multiplayer game because it doesn't survive long enough. Um, but actually what I'm hoping is if it's an inconspicuous grey thing that you need a very fancy scanner to even find, then yeah, you know, there is a balance where it does work. Uh, it's clear from the features and interviews that Ashley started and now Mark Boss has taken over with that you've assembled a great team at Frontier. Uh, what have they created that's either surprised you or has really impressed you? I think just the richness of all of the things. You know, there's been so much in the, the fiction, for example, that the, you know, in terms of the, the game, the fact you need so much to fill such a big world, whether it's within the spaceships, whether it's... that I think you go, wow, this would be so much fun to play. I mean, you, seeing you saw the taste of the Alpha 3 today, which will be this week, the Alpha backers will get to play it. Um, but I think also just feeling the scope of it, you know, as we're moving forwards to uh, future Alphas and then the Beta, you know, when you get that rich game, you know, now we've got a proper game loop where you can make money, earn it, improve the ship and, and repeat. That is, that is quite nice. I mean, you know, it'd be interesting to see how that works actually in the wild because it's, it feels massively unbalanced. But, you know, you, you've got to do a first guess at it. You know, so, uh, yes, very excited about it. I mean, speaking about the fiction, I mean, that was one of the exciting and unique elements about the Kickstarter was the writer's packs. Yeah. What was your vision for that? It, it's actually followed how, how largely how I'd sort of hoped, expected. It's really to build the world, because I think the, um, the thing that was important for me, I mean, obviously some of you have seen the fiction bibles and all that sort of thing, that um, a game is about its world. You know, that the... Uh, when I, as a kid, saw the film Star Wars, I actually thought I didn't see it as a story where, you know, you rescue the princess. I saw it as a world that you sort of stick your head into for a, uh, an hour and a half, two hours, whatever. You know, the, the point is you immerse yourself in the world more so than you actually care what the characters are doing. You know, really the story just brought you to different aspects of it. You know, there's the whole, the Death Star, the, the, um, the canteen in Tatooine, you know, the, in Mos Eisley, sorry, and, and, and all of um, those things, the way they hung together, felt like a consistent world. And it's that, trying to get that feeling, that re reality of a consistent world, where 
you often don't get it in many fictions because it's so shallow and if you start asking questions they don't stand up you know things like Bond films you think oh no why that, what a coincidence what would have happened if he'd have been five minutes later you know he'd be dead and you know it's things like that where you it's very hard to do in a game unless you do it as a serialized you have to do it to achieve the next section and a bit of cutscene and I've always disliked that cadence of games that feel of games okay well maybe a follow-on a follow-on question from that then is you, you mentioned Star Wars as uh, you know potentially an influence what has inspired you what sort of where do you take your influences from I would say mostly from written science fiction more so than things like Star Wars although Star Wars was a, a sort of standout thing in that you know there, there are lots of um, great authors I mean when I was um, much younger I read Larry Niven Jerry Cornell were very big at the time you know the whole sequences of, of stories um, you know more recently the very very sadly Ian Banks now who's no longer with us but he's such a good writer you know and had some some such lovely concepts in his books um, it's those things that have mattered where the worlds have I think in a book the worlds are a lot richer because there is a lot more opportunity to describe actually in films some films have a load of detail in the background you know others actually the detail isn't there and they don't really bear examination and so I like the ones. I think Star Wars was one that worked for me, where you know the, the, the mood of it sort of carried over. From kind of from some of the stuff that we did with the uh, the guides and everything else, the, the sort of the idea, I guess, and sort of cueing what you've said, of the narratives become your route in. They are not what you follow yes. in terms of what eventually what you remember. They're just your route into to where you take your own narrative, yeah. and you know, and essentially that you know, I, I assume. You know, and I, I couldn't uh, I couldn't speculate other than that. Um, that you know, from my point of view, certainly when I started looking at a writing pack um, and and started doing the guidebooks and looking at the other bits and pieces, it was always about how can you enable others, how can yeah. you kind of bring everybody else to, to what's there. And I there's also the, the film, the feeling you get from, for example, the second Alien film. There was a lot of ancillary stuff around it that really worked well. Mm. You know, and the sort of thing, what would a world be like with all of these rules? Yeah. You know. 3D printed food, you know, with a I don't know a burger with the gherkin always on the left. You know, would that annoy people? Would it always taste the same? Would it be crap? And would you you would want to get one made out of real ingredients? You know, it, it's all of that sort of thing. How does the world feel to, to immerse you into it? And the combat in a game feels so much better if it's not just a case of I'm. You know, there is a point where you think, right, I'm going to cut and run because yeah, I've got yeah. a cargo of gold. I don't want to risk that anymore. And it's, it, it's surprising because that's, that's what Elite had or yeah. anything else. You knew when you had to get out of there or you knew when you had to fight. And it was palpable when you had a decent cargo on that you needed to either make breakthrough or yeah. just get the heck out of Dodge. But, but the irony is that this is right, really in the early days and I was playing around with 3D graphics, this is even before Ian Bell, I had a game where it was you were just shooting things and getting a score that, that, that used some of the Elite spaceships. And it was... It wasn't compelling because you know, I just thought, well, okay, it gets a bit more difficult. But then, you know, why would you? It was almost a sort of shooting gallery, and I thought, I really like to run away. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and it, but it didn't make sense. It doesn't make sense in an arcade-style game. You you find certainly with players that come back to games that are immersive, they make their own score. Yes, that is right. that is fundamentally well, the thing. Well, it actually it? came from. I want to spend my score. Yeah. I might not want a free life. I might actually prefer to have the smart bomb or whatever you get. And I thought, wait a second. Surely a score is just money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he, well, can your score then go down? I said, well, 
it's money, you know. But then you've got the benefit of the other thing. I mean, it, 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 it's it's very symptomatic, and he will he will he will be delighted that I've mentioned him. But there is one user on the forums by the name of Oz, who the forums have a rating system in terms of how many posts you oh, do yeah. and how many sort of you know well done for your post. And Oz asked people to put him at the bottom of the entire ratings pile, so he basically has a negative rating, <laughs> and he loves it. And that, of course, is just another person keeping score in a completely different way, which is, yeah. you know, and when you when you can create a game that has that kind of scope, mm. I mean, that, you know, that, yeah. that's what sucks people in, and of course, that's what Elite did, what it certainly did for me, and, you know, and uh, uh, we wouldn't have devoted a year in terms of <laughs> podcast time if it, uh, if it hadn't sucked us in that much. Is there anything within the game that you're very passionate about? Something like the friction or the lore? Is there anything that in your head has to be in there? I think the world, it has to feel believable. You know, the, the, there is a lot of things that's part of that. And it's sort of saying one thing. I mean, saying having the science right is probably for me the top priority, mm. um, which is a very sort of vacuous thing to say. But, you know, it, it's the, um, I, think, I suppose it's the thing that matters most, and rather, in, rather than just fudging it. And yes, okay, there are probably elements of fudging it, but you know, like hyperspace. But the, the point is, um, I think we really have to do that. Um, and it, there might be ways around it, but the fact that you do a journey and all your relatives are dead, you know, <laughs> it's not, even if you're okay, you know, it would be a very different world. But it's interesting, I mean, you made the point in the talk about how, you know, I was kind of quite impressed by the logic of like you were saying about the power systems where it's logical to say if you have hyperspace then energy must not be a factor and that kind of internal logic I kind of that, that sort of really appeals to me in the sense that well it's, it's got to work because this and I, and I like that sort of well, thing it, it, it's the sort of thing that you know from people in the team saying oh well surely we would have solar cells would have, I said no because it's piddling amounts yeah, of energy yeah, yeah. if you can for free have a fusion reactor that gives you um, a giga watt of power and it's this big and it costs a thousand credits why would you ever bother with the solar cell so what um, one of the things i'm curious about is what what games um and obviously you've mentioned about these sort of you know around about the original elite time talking about text adventures and things what games do you play now what do you what do you what sort of you know what do you what do you enjoy playing if you play if you play well i've played a wide range of games in the last year from Everything from Stanley Parable to Battlefield 4, you know. Um, it, it's interesting to see how games are evolving, how games work on the new technology um, and on you know, the previous technologies. Things that mess with the way you play, I think, are interesting. That's why I mentioned uh, Stanley Parable. I also, uh, I can't remember the name, is it Brothers A Tale of Two Sons or something? Yeah, One yeah. sort of strange multiplayer, multi-thumb game where you're playing two characters on different... I think that took a bit of getting used to it. That was very interesting. You know, and um, I think there have been some very interesting games this year. Obviously, I've played a lot of things like Zoo Tycoon during the testing of it, you know, and, and to other games that we've been working on at Frontier, and obviously an awful lot of Elite. So actually, I don't have that much time, but the little time I've had, I have got to play um, some lovely games. I mean, bizarre games like Papers, Please, but if you played that, <laughs> you know. A mix and the advantage of those games is actually you can play them without taking hundreds of hours, like things like Skyrim, mm. where it's just not practical to play it for a short time and we actually get very much out of it. Are you going back after Commander Jonathan Bond? <laughs> <laughs> I'll get him one day. Do you need a wing <laughs> <laughs> I think it, it's brilliant and I love the, the spirit of that, mm. you know. Um, and actually seeing how many people are playing with Oculus Rift, for example, 
Um, because one of the things that it does when people, when you die, it tells you yeah. whatever. <laughs> and I think that is very interesting because it's useful to us to know if it's worth putting a feature in. Because some, if some, no one uses it, it's hardly worth the effort. I think, um, I mean, I said before the Alpha came out, I was kind of talking to, to a few people about this and saying that actually it's down to the Alpha backers and also down to the Frontier staff who've kind of had a chance to play before the Alpha backers have. They will develop rituals, they will develop methods, and they will yeah, develop yeah. things that will kind of be the way you do it. Mm. And it will then be um, it will then be the beta players and the other players. You know, it'd be interesting to see how that follows on. It's almost That's like right. a like a sort of sociology inside a you know inside a, a, a virtual universe. Which well, it's also is... questions how representative are the alpha backers? Yeah. I, I suspect yeah. in terms of things like Ocular Thrift, not very representative because no, 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 no. they're quite obviously got quite a bit of yeah. money, but. but um, in terms of, generally speaking, it, it'd be interesting to see what the correlation is, yeah, especially as we go to premium beta and then beta. Very much so. I'm hoping to see some of those rituals stick. Just things like having having lights on the ships and <laughs> yeah. how you approach other ships yes. and kind of seeing, you know, if there are methods to, to sort of negotiate between each other. Well, I know, think once we have um, full-on voice comms and you can hail other ships, mm. that's interesting as well. But, I mean, one of the things that we've already seen, kind of feeds on what we're talking about, is the fact that people will use the tools they've already got available. So we're already seeing in the alpha, people will fly up to you and they'll do a little shimmy from oh, side yeah, to side, yeah, yeah. or they'll open their cargo bay door and close it, open it and close it, <laughs> as, if, as a way of saying thank you, that, yeah. or hello. Yeah, these are, Like the indicators thing in cars. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Just purely because that's what the tools are and people want to use it as, yeah. uh, as a it is. Table. It is very funny in that, you know, most games you do have because the only tools that are available are destructive. So essentially that's the, you know, but it is very interesting to see the more and more players that are there that are actually trying to make use of communication tools and positive things as well yeah. which of course as the game rolls out you'll get more of that journey is a very interesting game to look at from the point of view of how you communicate with people oh, I with like a, yeah with journey, a very small set of things available i mean that, that kind of takes us back to a very conscious decision and, and i know this is one that um that, that has rankled with some people it's a very distinct difference obviously from, between the background of elite and the background of frontier with the rollback of, uh, of the alien species and everything else. Um, I, I'm interested in your take on it. The, my thought, and just to, you know, to sort of preempt it, is that because of the rollback, we've actually got that discovery between humanity and another species. We have the opportunity to explore it. That's right. And that, you know, without it, you just end up with a... There hasn't really been a rollback, because the, certainly the... You mean the fat, furry felines? <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, I, I mean, they were never intended to be sentient. Ah, I see. You know, it's just what would, how would you identify, I don't know, Australia? You'd say, yeah. oh, it's got yeah. kangaroos and things like that, yeah, and there I are people understand. there. You know, the, that's, that's the sort of point. Um, but yeah, I know what you mean. And it's a, um, I, I think certainly I would like us to feature. Mm. Um, Obviously, with the, the, the Damocles trailer, that kind of voice chat at the beginning is kind of quite immersive. But I know in the past, there's been information that's come out that said that the game isn't going to feature kind of NPC dialogue or radio comms chatter. Now, is that is that an aesthetic decision because of, obviously, Elite was a very lonely game, or is it because of the procedural generation, it's very hard to kind of do dialogue? It's doing it well is the challenge. And I would rather have, I mean, I, I don't think there's any harm. We are distinguishing between players and non-players. So you have voice dialogue between players and yeah. computerised, you know, you press a button to do stuff when it's with non-players. I think we may with time look at changing that, but it's, it's really a case of what works well. I'd rather it work well and do it badly, and do it badly yeah.
fluffy questions. What's your favourite ship from Elite, your favourite ship from Frontier and First Encounters, and your favourite ship from Elite Dangerous? Cobra, <laughs> Eagle. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, possibly still the Cobra, I don't know. Perfect. Well, thank you very much for your time today. And okay, good luck with thank it. you. Two seconds, I'll be right back. <laughs>